0: This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest. The place to convey strong ideas and, at times, the casual controversy. Join Feature's editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Opinionated. This week, talking all about NFTs with our guest, Andrew Steinwald, the managing partner at Fermion, which is, a, I guess you might want to call it a, an NFT hedge fund, if you will. I'm joined this week by Andrew and Anna Bidakova. Hello. And Ben Schiller. Hello. Yeah. And so also, of course, we've got Andrew here. Uh, Andrew is really in on the NFT world. He's been watching this space for a couple of years now and bringing big money to it in a way that I don't think any of us really were even thinking about before the start of this year. I'd like to just start with you and hear about what it's been like to watch this run up in the NFT market and what your place in that market
2: is. Yeah. First of all, thanks so much for for having me on. Really excited to chat. So yeah, when I first got involved in the NFT markets and it was around I'd say summer of 2019, the average trade volume per month across the entire space was roughly $1 million per month. And I think uh, yesterday, OpenSea, just one single platform in the NFT space, and there's multiple platforms now, did $195 million in trade volume. So that just kind of shows you the growth that we've had in, in these short amount of years. These are really, really picking up. And it's not just the art collectibles and gaming space. It's kind of also increasing, NFTs are encroaching on different uh, markets like IP and people are talking about property titles and these other assets. So it's very, very exciting.
3: So we had this big news yesterday with with Visa buying a CryptoPunk, which was one of the original NFT collections. How do you see that news? I mean, is this sort of further evidence of mainstreaming? I mean, it doesn't get much more mainstream than Visa.
2: Yeah. So I think that it was a really great move on Visa's part for some incredible marketing. You know, they only spent $150,000. dollars which is a pretty small marketing budget for someone like Visa, and they got really great traction on the internet, especially with the crypto crowd, which is someone that they're trying to you know, get closer to. So from a marketing standpoint on Visa's side, incredible. But also from our standpoint, it's, it's definitely a validating event where we have this large corporation that is saying, okay, this little corner of the internet is actually important and it's, it's here to stay. It's not this fad that, that is going to disappear in a short period of time. It's something that's, you know, kind of have uh, historical significance going forward in the future. Uh, and buying CryptoPunk specifically was, in my opinion, it makes complete sense because CryptoPunks are kind of, they're not the first NFTs really, but they're viewed as some of the first NFTs and also their cultural significance inside the ecosystem is probably strongest. And so, but when you have, uh, you know, essentially a piece of art that you can say, yeah, we are a part of this history and purchase that as, as a company, it's a very, very good move.
3: But you see this more as sort of signaling and marketing than an investment
2: per se. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I think Visa. I don't know how much money they make, but they make a lot. And if they want to actually make an investment, they would have bought a couple billion dollars worth of Bitcoin or something like that. Right. And and in order for them to actually make a, a buzz uh, similar to the Punk, they would need to have bought multiple billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Because if they bought one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, no one would have really cared. Um, but if they bought one one single crypt, crypto Punk, that, that's you know the equivalent of buying multiple billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. So.
3: Can you just talk a bit more about your, your fund, so we understand that? I mean, why would a client come to you rather than just go on a, a OpenSea and buy their own titles?
2: So we have, we have different vehicles. Some of them are focused on actively trading in the space and some of them that are focused on early stage investments in the space. So I would say that people would come to us because we've been in the market since 2019, solely focused on the sector. So it really comes down to domain expertise, network. And luckily, we have a a newsletter podcast that we operate that really attracts people to us because we're able to shine a spotlight or give our entrepreneurs a megaphone to talk about their product and talk about what they're building and and why it's interesting. We offer a lot of value. We've been solely focused on the sector for years. So it's not like we just jumped in when the market got excited beginning of this year. We've been doing this for, for quite some time. I really think it comes down to domain expertise because if you're new and you try to jump in and try to potentially make some money in the markets in this environment, you probably can because it's a little bit crazy right now. But uh, long term, things will essentially normalize and it'll, it'll become a traditional market where not everyone's making money.
4: Okay. like For Visa, $150,000 is probably a pocket change and a really cool PR move that's saying, look, look how modern and cool we are. We, we buy this new digital blockchain things. But from an investment standpoint, why would buying a digital picture, which is easily copyable and easily replaceable with another copy, would it be worth spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in this world we're living now?
2: Yeah, I think that because the blockchain allows you to verify authenticity. So it's oddly enough, because I know there's a lot of talk about NFTs. and people creating fake NFTs and whatnot, if you just look at the blockchain, you can determine whether or not something is, is quote unquote real. And so this is the example that everyone uses, but I can go to uh, the Mona Lisa, take a picture and print out that picture, put it on my wall. And everyone knows that that's not like the real Mona Lisa. But, but if I go to a CryptoPunk, screenshot it, go mint it on you know, some NFT platform, people can just look, look at the blockchain and say, okay, that's not the real CryptoPunk. It's a fake CryptoPunk.
4: Right. But why would they care?
2: It's just a human psychology, like no one cares if I have the fake Mona Lisa in, in, in my house, people care if I have the real one, everyone would be, oh my gosh, it's incredible, it's so valuable, blah, blah. But the fake one, it just, when no one really minds.
4: Well, right, let me just expand on that. The question of authenticity, if we're speaking about art, the question of authenticity of art is a complex topic by itself, because not everyone can tell the fake Caravaggio from the real one. But let's imagine I'm a person who can afford to buy a real painting of Kandinsky hanging on the wall of my probably luxurious apartment and I will enjoy both the visual of that picture and the idea that a great artist touched this canvas with his paintbrush and I'm so cool to own it and my friends will come to my place and see how cool I am to own it. So like this is the world in which the authenticity of the real like physical art matter describe the world in which the authenticity of a digital picture, let's say of a JPEG matters, who and why should care about it?
2: No man. Okay, yeah. So the value behind art and collectible assets, you know, assets with little to no functionality, is really all about the narrative or story around an asset, right? So so if I, Andrew Steinwald, the NFC guy, make a Banksy piece of art, the exact same piece Banksy would make, no one cares. You know, I'll sell it for a hundred bucks. If Banksy makes the exact same piece of art a week later, he can sell it for over a million, right? Because it's the story, it's the narrative, it's the people believe in Banksy and, and his old brand, right? So value, specifically with art and collectibles, it's highly subjective. It's very uh, prone to changes in the weather. One day Banksy's amazing, one day he's not, and the, therefore his value will plummet. So I think that when we're talking about why are NFTs important and why art NFTs are important, art NFTs, for example, are just, it's just a new medium for artists to create art. So it's you know, you have sculpture, you have paintings, and now you have digital, which is NFT. In order to say like the, the value of, of that digital piece of art is less important than this physical piece of art, it's very fuzzy to me because as long as it's created by the person, you know, this incredible artist, let's say Banksy, there's still that story, that narrative that, okay, instead of Banksy making a painting, he's just making a digital piece of art. It's kind of, it's kind of still the same story.
1: A couple of days ago, I put $120 into a picture of a duck because I thought we're going to go up. And you know what happened? Number didn't go up. And this project is very similar to CryptoPunks, not only in that the pixelated style is very similar, but the idea of having computers randomly um, give attributes to these different heads. So there are lots of different things that tie it together and lots of things that if you just compare apples to oranges, you know, why is my duck down 30% whereas pixelated heads are going
2: to the moon?
4: Danny is getting wrecked on the NFT market.
2: Yeah. Overall, there's two types of NFTs, non-functional and functional. Uh, Functional NFTs, game assets, uh, virtual land, those can potentially produce some sort of yield. So those are much more easy to to value or come to some semblance of a valuation. Non-functional assets like art and collectibles, much more difficult to value because collectibles is based off of the story or narrative. Art is based off of the artist's reputation or brand. And so, for something like CryptoPunks, even though they weren't the first NFTs and not even actually the first NFTs on Ethereum, there were actually multiple NFT products on Ethereum before that. The narrative is these were really early. They were made by two geniuses in Brooklyn. There's only 10,000 of them. They were given away for free, so anyone could claim them for free. You know, they have different levels of rarity. There's humans, there's aliens, there's apes, there's all these kind of different uh, rarity categories in there. And so, people like that context, they like that structure. And they they take to that and they say, okay, wow, I want to collect these things. It's almost like if you're comparing uh, CryptoPunks, which are a a non-functional asset, you can think of it like Bitcoin, which is just value because people think it is value, to something like Ethereum, where, okay, Ethereum has a sort of functionality to it where you can build applications on top of it. And those products can burn gas and therefore you generate fee or whatever, right? It's kind of like looking at Bitcoin versus Ethereum, functional versus non-functional. It's a similar kind of concept in, in that sense.
3: I think this whole question of like, why is it valuable is a bit sort of old hat. And anyone who's been working in crypto for a while has to kind of get used to these crazy valuations that maybe don't objectively make sense. I mean, we we have this discussion all the time about Dogecoin, about Bitcoin, and people say, oh, how how is it so valuable? The fact is, it is valuable. The fact is, there's a community of people out there collecting and investing in this stuff. So it becomes valuable. And I think we should just get over it and just accept it. I mean, I I don't know why we have to continue to have this discussion
2: I think you bring up a good point. And also, you have to realize the macro environment that we're in. Like traditional markets, all time highs. The Fed is printing nonstop, right? And then you have crypto markets near all time highs. That, that's, you know, valuations are, are going extremely high there. And so, so it makes sense that in this world of meme stocks and Dogecoin and whatnot, that these esoteric uh, digital collectibles and, and digital assets are, are gaining lot, lots of value. Um, and I do think that right now, specifically in the past, I'd say, two months, we're seeing a very, um, kind of excited market, especially on the direct NFT collectible side, where a lot of these assets will not survive, you know, the next two to three years. Not every collectible asset in the history of man is worth something. Danny, unfortunately, your your penguins or whatever you purchased, I don't know if they'll they'll come back. Hopefully they will, but ducks, apologies. Sorry, the penguins actually are increasing in value. The ducks (laughs) might, might not be.
4: So what kind of NFTs are you focused now? You run an entire fund that is dedicated to NFTs, what kind of these collectibles or or maybe functional nfts that you mentioned it's interesting that you made this distinction so what kind of nfts are you buying
2: broadly i can talk from a high level we are focused on collectible assets game assets and virtual land assets we don't really invest heavily in the art sector even for us it's too subjective and that's on the direct nft investment side and then the early stage kind of more venture side we're really looking at infrastructure projects in the space because the MT markets essentially didn't exist three years ago. So it's a very, very new market. And, and honestly, the, the, the volumes and, and the interest in the MT markets really didn't start until January of this year. Now there's so many simple infrastructure products that need to be built out that now we're seeing a flood of incredible entrepreneurs kind of start start building the space.
4: What are these infrastructure projects, you mean?
2: So it can be anything from marketplaces, data providers, valuation tools, just, just kind of baseline infrastructure that's needed for the markets to develop. And that's kind of level one. And level two is kind of the social or experiential layer. What's really cool about NFTs is that they're not pure financial assets. So unlike crypto, which you know, the objective of the game is to make money, that's pretty much the only objective and all the economic incentives are to make money. NFTs, their strong suit is their you know, emotional ties, their social, uh, their, their status, right? These kind of human factors that really drive a lot of the behaviors in, inside these markets. And so where we get really excited is the social or experiential layer around NFTs, so like what is what is like the social media of NFTs look like? What is the you know Roblox of NFTs or the TikTok of NFTs? These types of platforms or, or projects that allow people to experience your NFTs on a deeper level.
3: Where do you see the, the market going? Uh, say you know in the in the fourth quarter and, and next year, people are talking about a fusion of NFTs and DeFi, which is sort of very interesting. And another sort of bubbling up issue I've seen is is about legal questions around NFTs. Some people think that NFTs could kind of fall in the kind of securities. Bucket, and we'll be back with this ICO type era question of, is it a security? Do you see sort of increasing legal risks in, the, in this market? And are people going to get broadsided by the SEC eventually?
2: Yeah. Okay. So where the market is going on the direct NFT investment side, you know, the direct asset level, if I was able to determine that, I would be very, very wealthy. And unfortunately, I'm not able to predict that because it's very narrative driven. All I know is we're in a collectible era now and in, in a day, in a week, in a month or something like that, there'll be a new narrative and, and that'll be the excited kind of direct asset level marketplace. And then on the venture level, we're seeing just a flood of really incredible entrepreneurs coming in and building. And unlike 2019, 2020, no offense to people that were uh, kind of involved in, in, in that era, I think the people involved in that era are incredible. But right now we're seeing uh, experts in collectibles. They're making collectible product. Expert in art, they're creating art product. Experts in gaming, they're creating gaming, right? So we're really seeing these, these top level entrepreneurs enter, which is really exciting. And again, just building pure infrastructure. So on the venture side, that's going to be very active. On the uh, regulatory front, yeah. So there's definitely a lot of questions on whether or not what's going on in here in, in this market should be more regulated. It's a slippery slope because how can you regulate art or how can you regulate someone buying a collectible asset? Like if I want to go to buy a toy at Toys R Us or whatever, like how, how can someone really regulate that? It's, it's an absurd notion, but there are certain things like people will launch things that look similar to securities. And obviously, those are probably in the realm of, of securities regulations, right? Um, but I think the vast majority of the activity going on in this space is not under the, the purview of U.S. regulators or the SEC or CFTC for that matter. But yeah, I do think that there are pockets that are questionable from a regulatory standpoint.
1: Now, this is the reason we're all here. And also, I, my stupidity could be a good uh, use case for us to walk through. You know, I paid 140 bucks for this duck. Let's leave aside any question of if it is, is isn't valuable? It obviously is. And everyone else is stupid for not owning it, but it's on Ethereum blockchain. The first time I tried to purchase it, don't really know what happened, but I'd lost my transaction fee. That was 60 bucks. Then I paid another 60 bucks to actually get the duck. Now I've paid $120 for an objectively worthless duck, leaving aside the objectivity of the worthlessness. I mean. I don't think that this is a market that can, if you really are thinking about, act a high value piece of art. That you know, if you're gonna pay a million dollars for a piece of art, you know, you don't really care if there's 120 bucks in transaction fees. But if you're trying to trade in-game assets in a virtual world, do something in Decentraland, you're not gonna be wanting to perform a really small on-chain activity that's going to cost you 60 bucks a pop if it works, which is hardly a guarantee. So. How do you think that the ecosystem proceeds? Do we just wait for Ethereum to catch up with the demand for its usage or are there more opportunities elsewhere?
2: Yeah, great question. So basically utilizing a blockchain product uh, today, especially an Ethereum-based product is similar to using AOL in like the 1990s. It's, it's very slow. It's hard to use. It's confusing. If you click an image, it takes like 10 minutes to load. That process is quite similar right now. We're still in the very early days of, of blockchain technology, really. I mean, it really only took off in 2017. That's a, that's a core infrastructure, and then now we're building applications on top of that. Uh, and and specifically for the NFT space, as I mentioned before, these markets didn't really even exist uh, until you know three years, two three years ago, and really only got popular the past few months. So yeah, there are massive inefficiencies in the market. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done and things that need to be built in order to hit mass scale. And what we're seeing is more fragmentation within different chains. And so Ethereum right now has the majority of NFT kind of trade volume and activity, but we're seeing you know, Solana, we're seeing Polkadot, we're seeing uh, Flow, we're seeing all these different chains that are uh, people are building on top of and hoping to solve the scalability problems and also the UIUX problems. Because yeah, as you mentioned, so you try to participate in this uh, duck drop or, or whatnot and end up losing some fees on that, right? So j- just so you're aware, I've never participated in certain sort of NFT drop where it's gone accordingly in my years of being involved in the market. So it's, it's part of the course and market participants understand that. But again, it goes back to that macro situation where the market participants right now, a lot of them are crypto natives who've been in the markets for a couple of years, if not a couple of months, and are willing to spend you know, hundreds of dollars on transaction fees because they're traders or because they want to flex or because you know, they want this asset to join a community. And also you know, they're well-capitalized after being in the markets for, for some time.
4: I think it's really interesting that you said that you mostly focus with your fund, you mostly focus on the NFTs that has to do with gaming, and this, let's say like virtual universe, even as an NFT skeptical person, I can see the use of a virtual good in a virtual world. Like if you buy a unique skin for a blockchain game that recognizes it as a unique thing and you can trade it further and so on and so forth. I would disagree with Ben that that there shouldn't be a debate about the value of these things. Uh, And yes, this uh, crypto market has assigned value to many different things, and some of them turned out sometimes to be made of thin air and plunged in price dramatically. My question would be, how do you assess the real value of the assets that you're buying and what you pay attention to, like what an asset should be, also how do you hedge against this market going down?
2: Yeah, no, really good question. Okay, so NFTs themselves are very broad, right? It's a very broad term because NFTs, is, NFTs are essentially just like, like a, a container where you can put stuff into it. The value drivers really depend on the market. Collectibles, the value driver is all about narrative. What is the story around these assets? How is this narrative supporting the longevity of these assets? And that is highly subjective. Uh, something like gaming assets, the value drivers really comes down to the utility of the asset. So if my sword does 10 damage, your sword does hundred damage, your sword in theory should be more valuable. Uh, value drivers behind virtual land—it's similar to physical land. Location, content, parameters. So, location: are you in—are you in Illinois in the middle of nowhere? Are you in Manhattan? The content: are you a single-family home or a skyscraper? The the uh, parameters—it's it, essentially the zoning laws. What is the height, width, length that you're allowed to build on this piece of land? So that, thats kind of virtual land. On the art side, it's really the value driver is all about the artist's reputation and your brand. Goes back to the Banksy example. I sell a piece Banksy. It goes for a hundred bucks. Banksy sells it for a million. For each market, you have to develop kind of a thesis and a value driver mechanism for that market and right now nft markets have entered the collectibles space the art space the gaming space the reason that nfts enter these markets first is that these are unregulated markets with no heavy duty pre-existing power structures that are blocking innovation there that's why they can easily go in and start innovating and eating those markets these are not small markets these are you know multi hundred billion dollar markets when nfts go from that opportunity to multi trillion dollar potential it's when they start eating you know the ip market the music industry or or property titles or financial contracts When they start to move into there, the regulated markets with and power structures, it's going to take a lot longer for innovation to happen in in those places. But the efficiency gains that can be had from from utilizing NFTs are so strong that I think that uh, we will go in that direction eventually. But the value drivers are very dependent on market, and you really have to develop your own thesis on those value drivers. Because I could be totally wrong. Maybe collectibles is not about narrative. Maybe there's utility there or whatever. That's kind of how I view things. And then the second part of your question was to be totally frank. There is uh, very little, if any, uh, hedging done uh, with us. We are very risk on, and people that are looking to participate in something that we're doing is also kind of aware of the fact that this is a extremely risky, uh, volatile market, and there's not an effective mechanism to hedge, and especially because you're also facing the underlying cryptocurrency risk. So, so you you could hedge a little bit with that, but honestly, it, it doesn't matter too much because the vast majority of NFTs will probably trend towards zero and there will be, you know, let's say 10% of NFTs that retain value going forward.
3: So what do you say to your investor clients about the returns that you can make them? I mean, if I give you $500, how much money are you going to make for me?
2: I, I, I can't really speak to that. I would just say in an asset class that is extremely risky, there have to be attractive enough returns for people to make the decision that this makes sense for me.
1: I have seen on Twitter the last couple of months, a common theme from you is, is you chronicling your thought process that we would reach this point in the market. You're hardly a Nostradamus uh, as we've seen, but where do you think the market's gonna be going from here?
2: So you're actually correct. I've made many predictions. So I thought that NFT markets would take off because of these human factors I mentioned before, the social aspect, the status aspect, the emotional aspect of these assets, and they're understandable unlike cryptocurrencies, which are a little bit harder for most people to understand. 2023, 2024, that's when I thought things would kind of happen to the level that we're at today. And so, yeah, it's, it's shocking to see, see the, the advancement of that. But again, I think it, a lot has to do with the macro environment. I think COVID had also a big impact with people being inside and people kind of understanding that, okay, wait, wait, I can suddenly own my digital stuff that, I, that I'm buying in these, in these video games or in these worlds. I think that's also an appealing factor. Where are we going? Obviously I'm biased heavily, but I think that we are less than 1% of the way of where NFTs are going to go. You know, we started with a telegraph, which is Morse code. Then we went to telephone, which is audio. So a huge leap forward. And then now we're doing video calls. You can see me and hear me. So it's audio and visual now. So you extrapolate that trend out to like 10, 20 years, we're probably going to be in some virtual environment where, um, you know, it'll be uh, some conference room. We'll, we'll feel that we're there. You know, maybe we'll shake hands and we'll have like some glove on, and we'll we'll actually have that sensation of shaking your hand. And so like those two trends are happening regardless of NFTs. And what NFTs just did is they just added property rights into the internet into a place with 4.6 billion people where they had no uh, property rights before. And property rights are the basis of all successful economic systems. And so when you just suddenly add property rights into that, you're going to have massive economic growth. So what, what I think is going to happen is people will start spending a lot of their lives inside virtual environments. And the metaverse is, is finally going to kind of come to fruition. I love that. That's
3: uh, NFTs, the property rights for the internet. That's great.
1: I was thinking about uh, Udi Wertheimer calling Bitcoin digital real estate. And so, uh, Ludwig being a noted uh, Bitcoin Maxi troll on Twitter, his recent kick has been uh, declaring Bitcoin digital real estate, and also saying, um, how much word Metaverse, and he attaches it to everything, as if, uh, you know, it's a new synergy buzzword. The Metaverse is, if you if you put it in the Metaverse, it's suddenly worth something, which you know doesn't work for ducks. Thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on. It's been great to work through this wacky space, this quacky space, with you with anna and ben i mean uh, and i think we're all eager to uh watch this space that honestly i did not have any thoughts about even eight months ago uh develop in the next eight months
4: eight months ago is a lifetime in crypto i would say
3: (laughs) it kind of makes you think what's the going to be the black swan kind of breakthrough event next year if if what's going to be the equivalent of nfts and uh, so much could happen
2: definitely thank you so much for you know having me come on and I really appreciated uh, all the questions and yeah, looking forward to chatting again.
1: Yeah. And everyone who's listening, make sure to subscribe to uh, Zima Red. That's Andrew's podcast. You know, we only talk about NFTs here and there, but he's on that kick all the time. So give that a subscribe if you can. Thanks so much. Thank you.
4: Thank you.
3: Hey, Danny, that was a great guest today. Uh, really interesting to hear about NFTs. What
1: are your takeaways? My takeaway, uh, primarily after this call, I'm going to be working with him. I have a really great opportunity for him to buy some yeah. great assets. Wait,
4: wait, Danny, hodl, hodl, don't sell. Your ducks, still can go That's to true. the moon. That's true, actually. I,
1: I, will, I, will hold, I will huddle it for at least 30 days to be in compliance, although <laughs> I've <have> already lost <laughs> right. so much money on this freaking duck that I don't think I care anymore about ethics.
3: Maybe we'll get some uh, listeners to the show that will be piling in now to buy the ducks from you.
1: If that happens, then I will not sell the duck ever. That is, I will say that on the record. I don't think that will happen. But, you know, it was great to have Andrew on. He's been in it for a couple of years. And as we pointed out, you know, he's made a bunch of different predictions about where it's going to go. It's been really cool to be working with him these last few months. So to just hear now where he thinks this space is going and why people should care about NFTs.
4: I really appreciate that he kind of admitted that there is no way to hedge in this market against the volatility and and you can't really predict where the market is going price-wise and it was also interesting for me that he kind of skipped that digital art debate of like why, why would anybody be interested in buying a jpeg uh for millions of dollars but he kind of has this broad look to the NFTs and uh, he pays more attention to what he called the functional NFTs, stuff that can actually be used in a virtual reality where everything is virtual. So you're buying a virtual sword or or a virtual dress and you don't just store it in your computer and like enjoy the the pixelated JPEG of it, but you're using it in this metaverse when it actually, you can do things with that. Right. Uh, and that he thinks that it's going to expand all the way to, you know, intellectual properties and other things. That was also an interesting thing.
3: The point I was making on the podcast was, was not to d- dismiss your very reasonable skepticism about the valuations of these assets. I, I completely understand what you're saying. What I'm trying to say is that I don't think this is a kind of a new debate. I mean, pre-NFTs, people were buying, I don't know, Mickey Mantle's handkerchief for, you know, thousands of dollars. And Mickey Mantle's handkerchief has no intrinsic value. You can't use it to blow your nose. It just sits there in a drawer, like (laughs) gathering germs. And yet it goes for thousands of dollars. And it's the same with these NFTs. It's not really a kind of a new discussion, I don't think.
1: Of all the things you could have picked, you could have just did Mickey Mantle's baseball. But, you know... You had to go with the Jeremy <laughs> handkerchief. I'm trying to make a point here, man. Did you, yeah. get, did you buy this handkerchief years ago? When you're just no, upset, I just not I, Like I with don't my duck that it's no worthless?
4: But I would argue that, you know, with the physical stuff, the physical stuff is about a certain experience. You're looking at some painting or you have a very tangible experience of owning physical stuff.
3: Don't we at some point have to accept that people pay crazy amounts of money for all kinds of crap that's non-useful? And that, that that situation has existed for thousands of years uh, pre-internet. And you don't need to put a kind of digital wrap around it and call it, you know, property rights for the internet to see that that's a bit crazy and people uh, lose their minds over certain shiny objects. I'm just saying that, you know, we keep having this debate about NFTs as if it's a new thing. And it's not really a new thing. That's all I'm trying to say. I think well, the difference
1: with sense. NFTs is that whereas before, you know, Let's, if we're being completely cynical and just to say everything is a scam of subjectivity, before the internet and before NFTs, the ability for someone to hawk their products was really limited very locally. Whereas now you have a global audience for your products. So I think that would be the biggest distinction that this environment uh, brings to NFTs, You know, this ability to tap into a global audience, which, you know, for those who are out to just scam, and there are those people out there, we should say, we really have to say, this is an opportunity to make millions of dollars really fast and get out of town.
3: To me, it just exposes what always existed, which is the basic psychology of markets being a little bit irrational. And we like to think that markets have this kind of perfect price formulation system, and they, they clearly don't. I mean, all the evidence points to the fact that assets are driven by, by sentiment, uh, and this just proves it.
4: A reason why I am struggling so much about like, why would people buy certain digital stuff that seems useless to me? I've been watching this space always hoping that this technology would bring some more rationality to the processes before blockchain and before crypto, before the distributed technologies were more sometimes irrational and prone to The will of some powerful players, and now you can do it a different way. So, when it's the same old story again, I'm like, is this why this technology exists? You know, (laughs) like, is that how it's changing the world? All right.
3: (laughs) I don't know. I think you have to take the good with the smooth. And I think the whole way through this revolution, and it was true with the original internet, you know, it's two steps forward and one step back. And with all the irrationality and stupid market behavior, you get like this incredible innovation that eventually becomes useful to somebody
4: <laughs> let's hope <laughs>
3: let's hope yes i think this is a good time to uh, say goodbye to our listeners
1: danny you want to say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode we'll see you next week on opinionated bye guys and don't go. get
4: wrecked in this market don't
1: get wrecked bye everybody bye
0: You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Badakova, Danny Nelson, and guest Andrew Steinwald. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with theme music by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.